Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Into the Unknown. I'm just here with Connor today. Just to it. The two hosts, yes, the two of us. Away, talking to you guys, and uh, today we're going to be talking about something that, well, we, we all we are all influenced by, um, and it's all it's a part of all of our lives, um, and it's food, guys. Mm. Food plays a role in all of our lives, uh, whether you whether you eat a lot, <laughs> as yep. in the two of us. Yep. Uh, whether you go on diets, whether you know much about nutrition and dieting. Um, and yeah, I mean, from the everyday person to your professional athlete, we all use, we all need food, you know, yep. and nutrition plays a role in all of our, not just our performance, but our health in general. Um, and I want to preface this by saying that Neither of us are, are experts in this field, Con and I. Like, we didn't study nutrition. Um, you know, we're not dietitians, anything like that. But all we want to do is, and hopefully in the future, we, we want to we extend this and bring on people who are experts in this field and yeah. talk a little bit about that. But, you know, today we just wanted to talk really about, about our experiences with food. Um, we both have you know, experiences in food and nutrition and diet um, that we've played around with um, during our, our lives, but also to help with our performance and our sports um, and, you know, some good experiences and bad experiences. And yeah, I just, we just thought it'd be good to come on and have a chat and talk and share a little bit about, you know, our, our um, lives and, and relationships with food and nutrition. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a pretty uh, pretty hefty topic. We're going to try and cover a couple of topics. We won't just kind of stay on one. And obviously, like we do in every podcast, we try and revert it back to our own experiences, which is mainly what this podcast will or what this podcast episode will be about. Um, and hopefully, we'll we'll dig into. Yushuan used to be uh, a, a very good powerlifter. And uh, myself right. still being a weightlifter, you you're okay, <laughs> and um, you know. So hopefully we're going to get into, uh, I guess the use in of diets and and disordered eating in 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 uh, strength sports and and stuff like that. But before we start, the horse riding season is officially started, Ooh. and uh, you, Sean, you had your first. Uh, well, I guess your first run out on Sunday. So how did it go? Oh, amazing man like we had yeah like you said the season has just started it started a bit earlier for some other people um but mm. i normally like to start just a couple of weeks later than than the first event um just because you know the national competitions and for us we're trying to build up to the sort of bigger international competitions um and build up to those goals and it's a it's a long season so we want to pace ourselves a little bit so yeah for me it just started yesterday well when we're recording this um but yeah, it was just a, a, a kind of a small one with 
uh, one of my young horses, mm-hmm. and it went it went really well to be honest. Um, as good yeah. a first run as I could I could ask for, and you know it's <laughs> it's actually really unusual for us to start the season in March in like warm weather, sunshine, and good ground, no mud, yeah. no rain. You know it was beautiful, and that was just quite a, a pleasant pleasant start to the season and to be honest with you i'm just happy happy to be back out there like it was quite a long wait over the winter um and you know we've done a lot of training a lot of preparation to take the season off and we've got big plans with all of my horses um well the thing with horses it never fully goes to plan anyway but as it stands you know we're on track so yeah excited times ahead that's sick so kind of on the topic of that obviously with competitions um in terms of your own nutrition in terms of your experience is there is there a major difference between what you might likely eat in off season or in season or when you are coming to prepare for competitions pre and post or even in uh, yeah, competition yeah. yeah i mean to be honest i've gotten to a point now where i try to be quite intuitive with my eating yeah um you know during the winter and in the off season you know me like i i like my food and <laughs> And, you know, going out for meals and, and um, trying different food it is a big part of my life and what, you know, it makes me really happy, to be honest. And yeah. I know that during the off season, I can just afford myself that little bit of wiggle room to, to indulge a bit more, if you like, you know, um, you know, I, that, that, and that goes to, that includes me, you know, going up to London to see you and going mm. to the London Food Festival. That was sick. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and stuff like that. But I think the main things for me is that so during the season and while I'm competing and even during the off season when I have, I know that I've got a, a, a more intense training day or something like that. Um, I know what kind of works for me performance wise, like what fuels me what makes me feel good when I'm riding. Um, and that's something that kind of becomes more of a focus with my meals and my eating during, during the season and especially leading up, leading up to a big competition and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so where I am now is kind of, uh, like I said, quite, quite intuitive. I like, to, I like it that way. And I, the main things I try to do is get in a lot of protein. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's especially on days where I've got uh, more intense training. Um, Mm. And, you know, days where I'm, I I ride every day, but then if I'm, if I've got quite a long day of riding, plus I'm going to the gym for a strength session. Yeah. And, you know, I want to, I want to have a lot of protein that day and the day after for recovery and things like that. and then, and, and I try to get quite a wide range of, of different proteins. I, like I love, I love my eggs. <laughs> like eggs are a big part of my, my meals, you know? Um, and yeah, uh, eggs, chicken, beef, that sort of thing. Um, and then the other side of that, like plenty of fiber, keep the digestion going. Um, and it's also a good source of, good source of carbs, you know? 
um so that and and carbs are low in gi and that sort of thing um and just keep it quite clean as much as i can um yeah and then on competition days i kind of my focus becomes like performance on the day like i want to feel so for me feeling good while i ride is i don't feel sluggish and i feel alert and i feel light and i feel you know in a good place to to move my body and and to react to things and to think quickly and and memorize my plan and stuff like that and what that means for me is that and, and this differs from person to person i'm sure but i find that if i have if i have a heavy meal or if i have a lot of carbs um beforehand then i feel really sluggish and lethargic so i try to stay away from that as much as i can uh before i ride um starts to get a little bit difficult when i you know the competitions later in the day i start feeling a bit peckish um but you know as much as i can i do that and then before i ride i want to actually get in some sugars you know some high gi stuff um for that sort of shorter quicker burst of energy um hopefully time it for when i do ride and when i'm on the horse and so i feel the best i feel the most alert and active and and my body feels good um and then the the night before i sort of started keep it quite clean just to keep the stomach happy you know um, yeah. a lot of these competitions we go to they've only got port loose we're in the middle of a field Lovely. And, you know and and we wear we wear white britches as well so uh, <laughs> um you know there's a lot of movement on the horse the recipe for disaster <laughs> but yeah that's kind of generally what i go to we can get into specifics of you know mm. what i do and don't eat but um yeah what about you um you know is there how much do you use food and i guess nutrition to to fuel your your training and your performance with with weightlifting and stuff like that i think uh so i've been weightlifting now probably was it probably six and a half seven years of, of olympic weightlifting it's quite a long time well actually it's a very long time um and i think when i first started and i'm sure that em will attest to this i was very much uh under under nourished uh i mean i'm a six foot guy and i think when i first started weightlifting i weighed maybe 82 kilos so i was very very well i was pretty lean um to start off with and over i guess the last six to seven years i've gone from being about 82 kilos to now weighing pretty much on average about 102 uh because the aim was big boy <laughs> that's it lockdown did a number on me <laughs> i'm just joking <laughs> But the aim, the aim was to try and get myself up to uh, 102. And really for two reasons. One, because I always felt like eating food for me gave me not just like the ability to train harder and recover, but also it just, um, for me, food has always been about like joy and like, you know, I, I really enjoy different types of food. I enjoy the social aspect of going out and eating with friends and, you know, having a couple of drinks. But then on the flip side, I think it also tells you 
a lot about you know how to balance your nutrition in terms of going out and and eating more intuitively i remember when i was 82 and i was tracking every single little thing and you know maybe it was healthy maybe it wasn't who knows but it's i feel like now eating intuitively and being stronger and being able to recover is far far better than it was back then and and again just to drive my performance like i'm a lot stronger like yes i'm heavier but I don't think I'd be able to lift these numbers if I was 82 kilos. So do you, do you track now? No. no, no, I don't. Some days I do. I have done for the last couple of weeks just because my calories have been very, very high for the, for the last couple of years. And so it was really just to figure out, okay, what do I need to eat for maintenance uh, to kind of maintain my current weight? Uh, and then what do I need as, as a sort of deficit? Um, and as soon as I kind of figured that out after a couple of weeks, I was like, okay, right. I, I, I kind of know now what I need to eat on a day-to-day basis, how much I need to be eating. So I'll do away with the calories and I'll just eat intuitively. Like if my body feels hungry at this point, I know I need to probably eat. Um, so yeah, I, I used to track. I don't anymore. Um, I moved away from it and I'm, I'm not sure what your opinion is on continually tracking food. I know that we yeah, might be going I think going that's down. something that, yeah, yeah. we're definitely going to get into. Because I was, I was exactly the same, man. Um, you know, especially back in the day when I dabbled in powerlifting, you know, <laughs> um, did a little bit of that. And then actually, especially when I then decided to do a very low-level bodybuilding show. Um, yeah. And... I think powerlifting and weightlifting as well, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on your weight because obviously mm. weight classes and and uh, tracking your, your calories and your macros uh, seemed to be a really good way of sort of accurately, um, well, tracking, well, accurately yeah. controlling and manipulating your weight mm. and making sure in... in quote marks you know um you're getting the the sufficient nutrition um and sufficient intake that you need uh for what you're doing and how heavy you want to be and and so it must have been five years ago i i was i tracked everything down to the gram um you know i had two scales just in case one was a bit off and everything I ate you know I was putting it into my fitness pal and making sure that it was you know to the exact decimal and that just because because I'm exactly like you I think I I love eating um and I not just not just the act of eating but I I love food and I love Mm. all different types of food I love going out for food um with people and that sort of thing um but then I became just so obsessed with tracking you know getting um you know 150 grams of protein in that day or whatever like 400 grams of carbs blah blah and that my meals and and my eating just revolved around making sure everything was the right uh, the right weight and putting that onto my fitness pal and stuff like that and it just made it turned me really obsessive about that and and sort of the side effects of that was that obviously it became very difficult to go out for meals um yeah you know if i went out for a meal 
I'm not able to scan that and put it into my fitness pal, you know, even if it was a bit of chicken, some rice, you know, if it's like, I don't know, jerk chicken with, with yeah. like rice and peas and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I, you can have some kind of idea of like what, what you're eating, like, Oh, it's probably 40 grams of protein in that amount of chicken, blah, blah. But when, I think when I became so obsessive with tracking everything so accurately, um, I didn't have, I, I kind of lost the confidence to do that, to go out and, and put it aside for a bit um, because I was obsessed with like, I need to hit these numbers to be at this way and to look this way. And I think that became even more clear, like when I was prepping for my, my bodybuilding show and I was probably I'd say four weeks out uh, I started dieting when I was um four, eight, 12, 16 weeks out yeah and when I was about four weeks out I I just gave it all up like I gave up the tracking and I was so obsessive I think about the tracking that when I put like thought you know fuck that I'm not going to do this it kind of all went to shit and I thought, what's the point? So I just ate whatever. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that was because, you know, I was so meticulous with every gram of food I put in my mouth um, that I wasn't having much of a social life. Like I'd get really annoyed if say, like I dropped a bit of food while I was cooking it. Like, fuck, I need to shout. I wonder how many grams that was, that sort of thing. Like stupid things like that. And it got to a point where as well, because I was getting leaner and leaner, I'd look in the mirror and I guess what I saw wasn't an accurate representation of what the reality was. And I, you start to become just a bit disillusioned with, with what you're seeing in the reflection and what, you know, you don't think you look good enough. You don't think you look how you should be looking and that sort of thing. And you start to nitpick everything. And so I went, Oh, well, this isn't working. And yeah, I think if I hadn't been maybe so, so strict or so obsessive with, with the tracking, um, then I wouldn't have had that sort of all or nothing kind of fluctuation, you know? Um, and the other thing for me is that especially in, in, in weightlifting and powerlifting, uh, bodybuilding, but also, I guess, just the fitness, the fitness industry and, and the fitness community, um, dieting and eating and nutrition is so focused on weight loss or weight manipulation. And that, you know, it kind of, kind of, kind of bypasses and, and, and forgets about all of the other aspects of, of nutrition i.e. health you know your overall yeah, exactly. health and how it can benefit your well-being um as well as performance other than weight um, yeah and yeah. also the longevity of you know there's only so long that you can do that sustainably weight manipulation and so on and so forth before like you said you start to either run yourself into the ground go a bit crazy or it could lead to something slightly for some people they can do it they can do it forever like i know mm -hmm. i do know people who 
you know have been tracking their macros for decades man yeah i mean but it's to hear like your experiences with it it, de- well. it depends how extreme it is though um because i feel like you know the vast majority of people if if you're looking to just lose a little bit of weight before a holiday that's fair enough i think um you know and, and this is just to preface this you know we're not saying that you shouldn't track your macros by any stretch of the imagination like not at all but when it becomes extreme circumstances where you have maybe a guy who weighs i don't know 96 kilos in the off season but he competes as an 89 you're like okay um are you sure you shouldn't just be 96 (laughs) um you know but again it is a difficult one because with strength sports, weightlifting, powerlifting, you to be competitive, sometimes you have to have a manipulation in body weight. But I think the difficult thing is that people then stay within a weight class that they probably shouldn't be in for, for too long. And that limits their potential to not just increase strength, but recover better uh have healthier joints and so on and so forth um you know i experienced that after trying to stay on the 90 kilos for like three years and my lift stayed pretty stagnant and then as soon as i started putting weight on obviously my lifts went up but i was recovering better i i felt stronger i could train harder and you know there there is a kind of a bell curve like you you can't just keep eating 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 and you know I mean, I'd love, to, it'd be great to go up to a super heavy, but to be honest with you, I think it also comes into body image as well. Like for me, it has been a very difficult time to go from 93-ish kilos up to 102 in the space of two years yeah. because I was so used to looking a certain way, like almost athletic. And, you know, I I guess I still do to the vast majority of people, but for me, you like fit, thank you but uh inside you always have that kind of like oh you know i don't look how i used to look yeah so it's a it's it's a weird it's a bit of a weird one it takes a little bit of time to kind of change your perspective and go well actually well i'm not going to look the way that i look but you know what i'm a lot stronger i'm a lot happier a lot healthier yeah uh i kind of had the the opposite experience in that I probably dropped, you know, about three years ago when I was very much into the the powerlifting and stuff like that. Uh, at my heaviest, I weighed about, and, and with very different shapes, I weighed about 80, 81 kilos. Yeah. Um, and I thought, like, uh, I look good. And I... Oh. <laughs> you look full. I looked, yeah, I was a big boy. But... Um, as a result, it, it was having a negative effect. It was impacting my riding quite yeah. a lot. You know, I wasn't able to react as, as well. I was a lot stiffer. Um, my balance wasn't so good. And, and just in general, a heavier load on top of a horse is going to have some negative effects. And so I decided to, you know, cut down. And now I'm like, I kind of fluctuate it sort of 72 area and so that's nearly 10 kilos difference you know in in a couple of years and i 
yeah i'm the same like i look at myself and be like oh i don't look as good as i did before but at mm. some point i had to prioritize you know my one the my performance in the sport that is my job and also what's good for me like i am for sure eating healthier now like i yeah. feel a lot better um not just with riding but just day-to-day -day life when i'm not having to force feed myself like <laughs> rice and pasta just to keep the weight up and i feel yeah. sluggish and lethargic when i did that um but i'm actually curious to know like why why did you start tracking if you could rewind back to whatever that was so uh if we re rewind back to before i went to university um i used to play a lot of rugby when i was at school and i used to be believe it or not pretty scrawny when i was about kind of 12 ish like 10 to 12 and then i started eating a lot more and i got pretty fat like i'm not gonna lie like i was obese like i was an obese child i had a double chin like thick cheeks you know and squishy con <laughs> what squishy con squishy con I was thick. I was thicker yeah. then than I am now. <laughs> and I definitely wasn't six foot. So, <laughs> yeah. And um, I started playing a lot more rugby and I just felt unfit all the time. Like it was a, it was a big struggle to kind of carry around that much weight. Um, and the more kind of rugby I played, the I, I used to play hooker, um, which is the middle of the scrum for people that don't know rugby. Uh, it's between the two props. And then um, I kind of had a growth spurt when I got to about 14, 15, and uh, they put me at outside flanker. And uh, I was like, shh, shh, man, I need to lose some weight here because I'm not fast and I just couldn't keep up with anybody. Like being outside flanker was hard enough with that much weight on. And then I did uh pretty stupidly because i didn't know anything about nutrition a pretty bad crash diet over one summer where i went from i don't even know how much i was but uh, i went from pretty heavy to basically just eating salads and uh basically running like five six days a week which for people that know me now <laughs> there's two things that i absolutely Wait, hate ran. yeah 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 <laughs> i know for two for the people that know me now there's two things that i now absolutely hate number one is salads i'll eat salad obviously but <laughs> it, i'm not just going to go and like order a salad at a restaurant or something like i'll have to have something else and number two is i despise long distance running now and i think it's because of the the things that happened when i you know i tried to go on this crash diet and lose a load of weight was the two things that I did was eat loads of salads and run a lot. And I felt super drained. I lost a lot of weight. Like Jesus, I lost a lot of weight. Um, and I came back to school in sort of like year nine, year 10, and I was skinny again, like skinny. And it, it was only since then that I started like putting a bit more weight on at, like properly. Uh, it was only really uni where I started actually tracking because I properly got into strength training. And I, I realized like all these dudes are putting loads more weight on and muscle and strength on. And like, I'm just still stuck, like 
friggin' struggling to squat 78 kilos back when I first started at 2021. Uh, not 21, sorry, 18. Um, and this was me and my brother basically doing bro splits, going to the gym, doing chest on a Monday. And that, that was my entry. Into, chest on a Monday, bro. Yeah, that was that was my mine and my brother's entry into training. And so, you know, we jumped on the bandwagon and bought some protein powder and started tracking macros. And I kind of did that all through uni, really. Um, and then when I first started at Narfield, and, and I think I did put a lot of weight on over two years playing football. I went up to about 115, which is pretty massive. Uh, and I basically I hated my body image again so I dieted again this time it was much healthier because I knew about nutrition and I knew about training I knew about macros uh and so it was only really after I graduated when I was sort of doing CrossFit coming into weightlifting that I got down to about 82 and since then it's been a very slow climb you know but it's taken a long time to learn about things i need to eat how much i need to eat how to balance things and not to feel guilty when you go out and you know uh i guess everything in moderation i take like the 80 20 rule uh like the pareto principle where it's like 80 percent of your stuff should come from wholesome food that fills you up and then 20 percent of the stuff should come from the things that you like to eat you know maybe a bit of chocolate some wine like a bit of cider whatever um and i find that keeps me in check I went a bit skew if over lockdown just because I wasn't training and fuck it, why not? But I think everyone did, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess it stems from there, really. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of been my diet journey, which is strange when I tell people like, yeah, I lost a lot of weight and I crash dieted, and that's why now I, whenever people tell me they do that, I'm just like, oh god, I know exactly how you feel, but please don't do that because it's not good for you. That's so um, interesting, honestly, because I I don't think we've actually properly spoken about any of this no. before, and our experiences, I think, are pretty similar, because um, obviously back in school, I played rugby as well, and I was also extremely, so I think when you say you were scrawny, like, I was, <laughs> I was malnourished, like, I was tiny, and, you know, I, I looked like I could snap in half, and obviously what, like these glasses exactly that? like those. <laughs> um obviously growing up and playing rugby and being around you know bigger guys it it had an effect on on yeah. me you know it, i i started becoming a bit more so i guess self-conscious about about my body and and how i look and how i should look and pair that with you know i was also going to the gym um you know, my dad loved going to the gym and he kind of instilled this in us. So I was going to the gym a lot and seeing a lot of the big guys as well. And then then going to uni, same with you, going to uni, going yeah. to the gym, doing my bro splits and seeing these guys getting really strong and, and, and I'm like stuck there. For me, it was the bench that I could never like, honestly, it's embarrassing to say now, but I couldn't get a plate on each side as in a 20 on each side. I Lame. Couldn't, I couldn't bench <laughs> 60 joking. for years. Um, and, you know, so I was obsessed with, oh, I need to put on more muscle. I need to get bigger. Mm. I need to get stronger. And this kind of goes into a little bit, you know, we, uh, 
whether we mean to or not, like we've kind of put quite a negative light on, on tracking um, so far. But I think, you know, at that point when I, when I decided that, like it was my goal to, to get bigger and put muscle on, I realized that nutrition was a, a massive part of that. And, and I wanted to know how, and, you know, there are, there are diets where it's like, oh, you just eat meat or like you eat loads of chicken in a day, like you eat a kilo of chicken every day, like, oh, you just eat chicken and rice, you know, that sort of thing. And that never appealed to me um, because I knew that I can do it. I knew that I couldn't sustain that kind of diet in the long run because like, like we keep going back to like, we like our food. I like a big variety of different foods and there's no way that I could just eat chicken and rice every day. Um, so then I tried to look for different things and that's when I, I discovered, if you like, I discovered tracking. And I think back in the day they called it, um, if it fits your macros. Um, <laughs> and I was watching a lot of Lane Norton on YouTube is a, is a nutritionist and he's a massive sort of, um, he's a powerlifter himself. And yeah, a huge advocate of of if it fits your macros and the kind of underlying message was that it doesn't really matter what you eat whether you're eating chicken rice whether you're eating chocolate whether you're eating uh bread white rice brown rice it all just falls under proteins carbs and fats and as long as you have those three elements in check and you're hitting your calorie goals and that's how you have to understand like how much you need to get to a certain weight and, mm-hmm. and all that as long as you're hitting those things you're good and that really appealed to me because i was like well i can just eat i can continue eating all these things that i like as long as i fit it into into this these numbers and so that's how i got into it and you know i think it gave me a really good understanding um, or, or quite a basic understanding of, you know, how, how I'm able to, to, to manipulate my weight and actually, you know, what, how much I should be eating um, to fuel myself to, for my riding, for the gym and, and for general life, if I was eating too much or too little and all that. But over time I came to realize that it probably isn't as simplistic as as a lot of people like to think you know because there's a you know if you (laughs) just intuitively like there's no way that um 100 grams of of um sweets is the same (laughs) as 100 grams of white rice in terms like they're both carbs like you would class them both as carbs but if you had to eat 400 grams of carbs that day and you consumed all 400 grams in like 100 grams of sweet chocolate and sweets and all that shit versus if you ate uh, potatoes brown rice yeah. like vegetables you know that's going to have a vastly different effect on your body yeah and sure i think there's a bit of a disconnect like people maybe don't want to believe that like people mm. really buy into and, and i was the same really i really bought into this idea that it doesn't matter what your food sources are. It doesn't matter what you're eating, whether it's whole foods or it's ultra processed foods, high sugar or, or you know, low fat, blah, blah. 
as long as it fits the macros you're good mm, yeah. and so you know i wasn't i think i was focusing on these numbers rather than how my body felt yeah i think that's so how like what your nutrition as a whole was rather than looking at just the macros you'd had no idea where what micronutrients you had to consume exactly exactly um you know, and it's a difficult thing because although there is a lot of information out there on the internet, on social media, in magazines now, and don't get me wrong, like we have come on leaps and bounds in the strength and fitness scene mm. in terms of information that is out there that is pretty good. But the problem is now is there is now so much information that yeah. it's hard to believe what is right and what is what is wrong. Or hard to just decipher um, between the good, the good and the bad. And yeah, the yeah, yeah. And then the difficult thing, I think, I had, I remember having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago where, you know, most of the things that we generally tend to do in in strength training ultimately comes down to that it's been tested in, in a lab uh, under pretty controlled conditions, and or that, or we've just taken it from Soviet scientific principles back from, you know, the 1930s, 20s, 40s, and it still works today. But it's it's always a difficult one because I find actually, although scientific research does definitely hold a place, I think a lot of people forget that actually anecdotal evidence can make a big difference. Yeah. You know, if I say, you know, I don't know. The, oh, this exercise, for example, fixed uh, early arm bend in a snatch. For example, I know that not everyone who's listening to this might know what the fuck that means, but just go with it. I'll go right. Well, this has worked in the past, so maybe we'll try this. The only evidence I have really is anecdotal. I could always read some research papers, and I'm sure there's research papers out there. But for me, there is definitely too heavy a reliance on one or the other of revert you're all in the scientific camp or you're all just anecdotal evidence but you can't just go with oh well this has worked in the past so you have to do this you also have to go with well actually what is the current kind of research and uh, literature saying as well as what have i tried in the past or you know what can i try um and it's the same thing with nutrition if it fits your macros like you said a little while ago works so well for some people you know and but for others that's not going to work you know and, yeah, and it doesn't yeah. really teach you anything about nutritional value all it no. teaches what's you good is for your health what's good for your yeah, body yeah exactly all it teaches you is you need to eat this amount of protein you need to eat this amount of carbohydrates for some people that's great because they don't care they don't have that attachment to food uh you know i've met some people like that and it's a little strange but hey people are like that right it's so I strange i met this one guy right <laughs> like we i went to his place uh we, we were going out and i think we just met up beforehand to have a few drinks at his place there were a few of us but he was like oh i still need to have a meal before we go out um and he's like what are you having and he said and he just gave me his the, like the breakdown of the macros of that meal 
And so he was like, oh, I'm going to get my 45 grams of protein from chicken. And he just like put some chicken on the pan, no seasoning, no sauce, and just boiled some rice. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think it's such a good point what you brought up about there being these, these two camps, right? Um, you know, the science versus the, the hearsay, the, the anecdotal evidence, as it were. But uh, the, the people who are in the science camp love to think that the other camp are just, um, you know, like snake oil salesmen, people who, <laughs> who um, love these fad diets, blah, blah. And I think, I, I wonder why, and I, it's, it'll be interesting to hear what you think as well, but why there is such a, 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 such a polarization between the two and why there's no sort of, I guess, diet that, or, or a way of eating that, combines the two and you know i from my personal experience like in terms of you know if it fits your macros and tracking and that sort of stuff is very much in the science camp isn't it um or at least claims to be like the nutritionists who are advocates for it you know say it's all just about calories in calories out there's studies to show this blah blah and if we think about following the science and in quote marks you know i remember being in school say um 15 20 years ago and they were teaching us the food pyramid Mm. and that was science you know the fact that you know that if you remember at the bottom of the pyramid was was all carbs and yeah it was bread pasta bare carbs and then the top what wasn't sugar it was fats because at the time fats were deemed the, the really bad thing. for you and so it was things like butter it was things like avocado it was, you know stuff like that there was foods that were high in fats and now it's almost flipped you know mm. the again the quote-unquote science has showed that you know fats are good for you some mm. fats are good for you sugar's bad for you um but then that debate switches all the time like within the science like there's no consensus actually within nutritional science as to you know sugars are fats basically and you know the other thing is that a lot of the science is backed by food companies which murks the water a little bit more um but yeah i think there's a massive place for for anecdotal evidence and for for your personal experiences and things like that like i you know i i no longer i don't eat breakfast anymore on a on a day-to-day basis just um on the normal day i would go into training just having had coffee um and i'd have my coffee black so i don't have any food in the morning and i personally find that it i feel a lot better like i feel a lot less sluggish i don't feel lethargic i feel alert and and that's all good for my riding whereas before when i was really obsessed about hitting these macros i'd have quite a big breakfast to start the day i'd be like okay i've got these carbs to fuel me for the day i've got these carbs to fuel me for my training session in the gym but i just felt slow man like i just felt like i wanted to go to sleep I'd have breakfast yeah. and feel like I want to go back to bed. Um, I remember you actually mentioning this is when we first started training in Strand, actually. I, I'm not going to kind of butt in too long, but I remember you saying, and actually I noticed a big difference in your energy levels and your shift in 
you coming in and just being more alert. And the reason I remember that is because you'd come in with a coffee and you'd bring me a brownie. I was just that kind of guy, bro. Yeah, dude. And I'd be there like I'd already had two meals. Now I'm having a brownie <laughs> and a coffee. Like, great. But that, that just goes to like, show. I like, haven't eaten anything today. Yeah. And, and you saw a difference in my, yeah, how I was in the gym, both in, in my performance and also just generally how I was. Yeah. Like, if I had a big meal, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like you say, I wouldn't be more alert. I wouldn't be as alert and I wouldn't, I'd, I'd be moving a bit slower and that sort of thing. And that obviously has an effect on the training and also how, yeah, I'd probably come in a bit more bubbly. I'd come in, mm. you know, with more energy and all of those things just from cutting out breakfast. But it took me ages to do that because of the reluctancy, I guess, yeah. from shifting away from what the general consensus of the mainstream um, science or basically what Lane Norton was telling me that, um, <laughs> you know, you need, yeah. you need those carbs to fuel your training session and that it didn't matter when or what you had. Uh, it didn't matter when you had your meals. You just had to get those numbers in that day. Um, but, you know, for me, it was a, a mass. I felt a massive difference. And I think this goes to show as well, like everyone's different. Like you and I have very different eating habits. Um, and, you know, I would come in not having eaten anything and you would have have had already like two or three meals yeah, by probably. 10 a.m. Um, but, you know, you were also training to a very high level and standard. Mm. Well, not that high, but... <laughs> But no, going back to your point about why you think there there is kind of two camps. And to be honest with you, I think the reason why generally people tend to lean maybe one way or the other, or maybe they have a, a good balance of the two is you have to also understand that one of two things, a lot of research is paid for by companies that want research produced for that company so that it shows that that company is really good. Craft, we're looking at you. <laughs> Number two is everything that is done in a lab is controlled to a certain degree. That is not real life. Yeah. Which, yeah. and I think that's one of the, that that is the difficult thing is bridging that gap between science and i guess experience or what works in everyday life if someone were to say to you yeah yeah if it fits your macros uh you've got to eat this and so on and so forth because this is what it says but then you work 60 hours a week you don't walk anywhere because you have to drive to work you've got three kids you've got a wife you've got mortgage payments to pay you're pretty stressed <laughs> like you're sleeping five hours a night there's a lot of other factors that come into play mm. outside of just eat this amount of protein eat this amount of carbohydrates yeah 100%. um and you're only really ever going to figure that out if one you experiment on yourself or you have mm. someone who can help you kind of guide yourself through that and go well in past experience this has helped so why don't we try maybe reducing the calories by, say, 50 to 100 this week? If there's no difference, then we can change it and yeah. so on and so forth. But science doesn't tell you that because that it can't. 
it physically can't yeah yeah because it doesn't know you as an individual and so we that's where live we don't live in a randomized control trial essentially no, what you're saying no. yeah and that's such a that's a really good point you know we randomize control trials being the sort of gold standard of of scientific research and clinical research is a really good way of of systematically uh finding evidence and systematically sure. proving uh you know generating knowledge and science but yeah. there is like you say a gap between a control trial where all the that you know you try to eliminate as many of the confounding factors as you can versus versus real life versus mm. you know what you're doing every day you know how you're living your life the stress stuff like that um and obviously that all plays a role as well in terms of like how you're digesting the food if you're digesting the food like yeah for sure you know, how it makes you feel i think it's a big part of it um mm. you know is it affecting your mood um is it affecting the way in which you you go about your day um yeah so so i think there needs to we we do kind of need to bridge this gap and you know we can we can do the research and we can we can learn and i think it's it's very good to i think it's really good that we learned how to track for example yeah for uh, sure learn about calories and macros and things like that to get a general sort of basic understanding of what we need and, and ways in which we can start to understand our bodies and manipulate you know uh diets and nutritions in order to to get what we want but we need to shift from that to also combining it with an understanding of the the bigger picture you know um what's good for our bodies what's good for our health and our well-being you know what makes us feel good what makes us perform well um as opposed to just focusing on those numbers um but you know other than you know we because i think we both our experiences come a lot from from tracking but have you had any experiences with with any other diets or do you know anyone who have kind of gone on maybe diets that are a bit more extreme and things like that i mean i know a few people who have been on things like keto uh is a, is a is a very popular one nowadays um whether you can call intermittent fasting a diet i think it's a little bit different because it's more of a nutritional habit rather than so much a diet i think it's slightly more sustainable than it is something like cutting out carbohydrates like okay people anecdotally might say oh yeah i feel great but other people that try it i know have said this is the worst thing that i've ever done i have no energy whatsoever which is baffling because it just highlights to you like every single individual is so different. Uh, you know, I, again, I know some people who have intermittent fasted and, and they have great success with it. I don't think I would ever be one of those people. And one of the reasons why is I've always been the sort of person to want to eat breakfast because I'm always so hungry in the morning, you know, and I don't think I'd ever get rid of that. I've tried it. I was grumpy. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll give it two weeks. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm not giving it two weeks. I'm starving <laughs> by like nine o'clock. Like, you know, so, and that's what fits fits me. But yeah, so I know kind of like keto and stuff like that. I still know people that track it. Like, um, you know, I know some people who who have had the unfortunate experience of going through eating disorders um, and they've come out the other side and actually tracking calories and, and macros has helped them get back to sustainably eating intuitively, you know, so, uh, yeah. which is fantastic because talk a bit about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So like, I, it's a lot, a little while ago, I was having a conversation and I was sort of like, you know, was it changing point wise? What, what was it that made you just kind of decide what you wanted to do? You know, what made you, want to kind of reverse your your lifestyle and kind of your eating habits and stuff and it's always a difficult one because it doesn't just come down to i know that i need to eat more right it's so much deeper than that and and i'm not going to get into this because i don't know enough about eating disorders to to warrant giving any advice but like basically the the conversation kind of transpired that actually tracking the calories gave that person uh ownership is the word that they used of you know how much they they're eating and to be okay with it and to slowly increase the amount that they eat rather than feeling like they have to eat loads and then obviously get rid of it somehow or you know whatever um and and they use that and and now they are sustainably intuitively eating which is fantastic you know Cause it's not, I don't think it's a, it's an easy place to come back from at all. Yeah. Um, no, it's that's, not... that's super interesting, you know, and, and yeah. I can, I can see that, you know, I, I can, if I guess it gives you, like you said, like ownership or a sense of, I guess, accountability um, mm. or, you know, if you kind of, so it's like training for me, like um, when you write my programs, I much prefer numbers. Like I like yeah. percentages rather than when you put RPE and I have to kind of get a feel because I like fuck. I always feel tired when I go into the gym because um, I've like ridden all my horses, you know. So it's like whereas if I just go in knowing I have to hit these numbers, okay, yeah, maybe it feels a bit slow today. Maybe mm-hmm. I feel a bit tired, but I know this is what I have to do. I can see it being a similar uh, uh, mindset for mm-hmm. for eating. Um, especially for people who have maybe perhaps a sort of um, like pre pre created notion of, 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 or idea of, you know, what food does to them or their relationship with food or the amount of food. Um, Just having a clear number gives a, a, a better representation of, of what they have to eat. Um, but so sort of on the topic of, of i guess eating disorders or or disordered eating um you know you i guess being in in the fitness industry and being in the sports industry um do you think that sports and fitness especially how it's portrayed today kind of plays a role in disordered eating or does it have some kind of impact in it or yeah what do you think if you'd have asked me that question maybe two or three years ago, I would have said that 
I think sport and fitness as a whole definitely feeds into the idea that you have to fit this certain mold. You have to, you have to eat the certain amount. You have to look a certain way, but I have noticed a big shift, especially in the last couple of years. Obviously I know lockdown um, meant a lot of people maybe had to focus more on nutrition than they did training because they just couldn't train. And so they had to educate themselves about that. Or on the flip side, maybe they picked up more exercise because they had more time at home. Yeah. Um, and maybe it maybe it did create actually a slightly disordered eating pattern or whatever. But the vast majority of people I have noticed a, a big shift in that, especially in sports, it's less portrayed as you have to look this way and more about it's not about what you look like. It's about what your body can do and perform like, and you eat to, I'm not, I don't really like the word eat to like fuel to perform, but it certainly does have a place where essentially you flipped it on its head and you've gone, well, it's no longer just about eating either to just eat or to, eat a certain amount it's you eat so you can train hard and you recover well and you can be the best that you can be uh and i've definitely certainly noticed a, a shift maybe just in the people that i coach for sure uh and some of the people that i speak to in the gym um yeah and i don't know whether that just comes from more information yeah. or whether yeah, yeah. I mean, either people nowadays are more likely to hire coaches to tell them, you know, you can try and eat this, like be a bit more intuitive with your training, similar to training where you say to you want, ultimately you want to try and provide an athlete uh, the tools that they can to learn kind of what you're doing for them in terms of training so that they, it gives them autonomy mm because otherwise you're always going to keep the athlete under your thumb and they never actually get to learn how to eat properly, what they're doing the training for. They don't understand how to listen to their body because you're always telling them what to do. Mm. You know, if they're like, I'm tired, but coach is going to tell me off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I know this is a completely different topic of kind of toxic coaching and stuff like that, which I think would be, a good topic to get into but i certainly think that there is a big shift at least uh yeah in... no that's that's really good i mean that sounds extremely positive and and obviously it's a it's a good thing that i suppose like you said there's there is more information out there and more accessible information for people wanting to kind of understand eating and nutrition a bit better and and um you know just from my own experiences in sports where I suppose you have to keep your weight down. Um, horse racing is a very good example for that. From a lot of what I've seen, those guys have very fucked up eating habits, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, it's verging on, you know, um, bulimia um, because... And may you know that may come from partially from from a, like you say a lack of understanding, a lack of information as to what they could be doing to 
get to a certain weight in a healthier way. Um, and without that information, I see, I have seen, uh, and I, I'm kind of a little bit out of that uh, horse racing world now. So it's hard for me to say what it's like now, but definitely in the past, I've seen a lot of guys sort of um, just really like stuff their faces and drink and all, all of that. And with this overarching sort of anxiety about having to keep their weight down to to be fast on a horse and so they start you know forcing themselves to throw up or they start going on these fasts um days before a race and it, neither of those things were helping them in terms of performance obviously because if you've not eaten for four days after stuffing your face for the last four weeks you're not gonna your body's not gonna want to perform um the other thing as well is, like you said, the difficult thing with crash diets and fad diets is a lot of people get into it because ultimately they want a quick fix. You know, I think uh, especially nowadays, and I'm very guilty of this, in some cases that I, I expect, um, I have an expectation that I want things to be done kind of now. You know, I, I don't like waiting for for things to happen and i'm talking about you know strength training and stuff i sometimes i'm guilty of being like i just want to be stronger like now yeah. you know so and I, I i don't look for a quick fix because i know it doesn't work yeah i'll either get tendonitis i have tried that in the past doing small of is a perfect example which is a squat program for those that are listening that don't know a russian squat program uh it's shit ton of volume and a lot of intensity I came off that and I had bloody tendonitis in my, my knee, you know, and it's similar with crash diets is that it's not sustainable and it doesn't create a, a, a sustainable habit, which I think is the key to getting stronger, to being fitter, to being healthier, to eating better, to understanding what you need to eat is about trying to create a habit and something that is sustainable to your life rather than worrying about, Oh, well, they have to eat this. Who cares? doesn't matter. Like everyone is very different. Yeah. Uh, even yeah. if you're even in the same weight class, you might have someone who eats less because of the lifestyle that they have, you know, like that's just how it, that's yeah. how it works. And that's such a, that's such a good point as well to bring in the fact that I think, and a lot of people that, that I talk to who, who go to gym or are a little bit into their fitness and that kind of stuff. And see a lot of these sort of fitness influences on on instagram and things like that they they are as it were influenced by this quite heavily in terms of you know you see these people food prepping every day you know they go like oh sunday's the day i food prep for the week and then during the week they're just having all the food that they've prepped that's weighed to the gram and all that and and kind of leaving this impression that this is how you have to be yeah, in order to, to do what I do or to look the way I look. But that's not taking into account the fact that, hey, no, it's not the only way to get there. But also right. these guys do it for a living. <laughs> like they're paid to, to prep their food and eat that for the week. You know, they don't have the necessarily the external added stresses of, yeah. you know, their work or, or, or different different aspects of their life that that 
the um, quote unquote normal individual is is yeah. facing. Um, but perhaps, like you say as well, that there is a little bit, and I'm seeing a slight shift from that into people being a bit more kind of aware of and and influences being a bit more aware of of this and the fact that everyone is different and everyone's needs are different um and you know it's not just about following strictly a certain way because this diet has been proven scientifically as it were and 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 you know being able to implement different different experiences and anecdotal experiences and evidences and you know i think that's really positive and you know a, a paper that i published just quick plug while we're on this <laughs> Cheeky is, plug. is about sort of bridging that gap i it wasn't on nutrition it, it was about uh novel and emerging treatments in sports medicine but it is a similar thing you know it's it's um bridging what the results you get from randomized controlled trials versus um you know results from people's own lives and their experiences and how you can implement that in a more systematic way yeah but yeah i mean you know what do you think you know finishing up what do you mm. think people should should take away and, and if you could say if you could give some advice to connor five years ago or however long it was into how they should be eating what i think one say? would be educate myself if i can't educate myself then try and find someone who knows some knows about what i'm trying to educate myself on say a friend or a colleague or you know an actual fucking nutritionist um <laughs> but again if <laughs> you don't have idea. that kind of money then you have to make a sacrifice and and say well if i can't afford it then it's even more reason for you to try and understand what you're trying to do yeah, yeah. You know, like don't use it as an excuse um to say I, I you know i can't afford it that's fine if you can't afford it but that doesn't mean that you can't try and find out information yourself and maybe poke around and ask like hey i'm looking at this what are your thoughts on this you know if you know someone like you know i have people ask me that almost well not week not daily i'm not that popular but you know fairly week regularly i'd say weekly they ask me questions like, oh, so i'm doing this like what do you think i should do like how do you think i should progress and stuff so i kind of give them some advice you know like i'm I'm not going to turn someone away because ultimately like this is my profession as well. And if they start to take the piss, then yeah, I'm going to be like, yeah, sorry, you have to pay for that. But <laughs> ultimately, you know, I want to, I want to see this industry improve as a whole. And I'm reading this book actually by Nicholas Nassim Taleb called skin in the game, which is a very apt uh, example of the, I'm not just doing this for monetary value. Don't get me wrong. We live in a capitalist society now where I have to earn money to live. There's no way around it. And I want to earn money to live a better life. But ultimately, I also want to see this industry improve because that means that I will also get more clients, get paid more and educate myself further. So you have skin in the game. 
as a whole yeah, you know you yeah. don't just dip your toes in and go oh i'm just here for the money yeah for sure um you know i've still got a long way to go and i'm sure there's a lot more people in this street that have far more skin of the game than i do but you know we're getting there right and uh yeah. so yeah i would say try and hire a nutritionist or find someone that knows information about it if you there is nobody there's tons of information online if you don't know it's the right thing to do again get in touch with someone and ask them uh and i would say in terms of nutrition and training try and have a uh try and create a habit don't try and do everything all at once because that is not sustainable yeah um you know whether it be increasing calories maintaining decreasing go with the smallest amount possible first uh don't change anything else you know you don't need to go and start going from perfect example actually is one of the first guys that i used to work with at my old job in uh i'll say the name i'm just gonna say it nuffield health uh no one's gonna know where i worked but uh there was a guy that came in and he had mcdonald's every meal for like three days uh three times a day seven days a week he had three like you know large mcdonald's meals so he came in and we did like a health assessment and we took like blood pressure and blah and i was like okay quite obviously this guy is endangering his life with his lifestyle it's not sustainable and he was like you know people in the past have sold me stop eating McDonald's, go and exercise three to five days a week. There's no way that this guy was going to go and freaking train five, three to five days a week off the bat like that. When he's a busy, you know, guy working, trying to earn loads of money. And ultimately McDonald's had been in his life probably for best part of 10 years or something so i just said to him well how about for, for one week you replace one of those meals with a kid's meal and he laughed at first he was like yeah yeah that's funny and i was like no no seriously don't change anything else just do that one thing he's like okay cool he did it and he came back the next week and he's like oh i've lost a kilo yeah. and i'm like yeah. exactly you don't have to make that many changes yeah you know so then i said to him right you've bought in now you can see that if you make one little change and it makes a difference, all you need to do is just stack those, those, uh, those bits up step by step. And, you know, you'll be on your way to having a healthier lifestyle. So what do we do? We stuck with that a couple of weeks. As soon as it stopped working, we changed it. And, you know, he got down to, I think in a year, he lost about, I don't know, even like 18 kilos, which is a lot. You know, probably could have been more. I, you know, I know people that lose 18 kilos in friggin' six months, which is insane. Yeah. And I guess it does depend on how much you weigh. And I know I'm ranting on. I was trying, no, to, keep, trying to try and keep this short. But that's... yeah, ultimately, it's about sustainability is um, you don't need to change everything. Just pick something. If it doesn't work after a period of time, change it slightly and see if it makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, that's that's amazing, and especially because you have that real life experience with with someone else as well. And and I agree with all that. I just add to just like listen to yourself and and try to listen and understand your body and and what your body needs. 
mm. um, rather than sticking to something because someone said to do it. You know, I, sure. I kept eating these big breakfasts and being sluggish on the horses in the gym instead of listening to my own body. And it was like, well, why are we doing that? Because, because if it fits your macros, it said so. Lane um, <laughs> Norton said so. Lay, oh, yeah, I mean, on the, on the flip side, like, don't keep intermittent fasting if you feel like you're going to pass out every day. Um, just because someone said that it's beneficial to your health. Um, you know, it goes both ways. And yeah, I think ultimately take those steps to kind of proactively understand yourself and your body and, and find out what works for you. But obviously these, today has just really been our experiences. I think we, we had more experiences <laughs> than we expected to share. But, you know, I really want to continue with, with this topic because it's such a big and beefy one. I get it. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah. And it impacts both of our sports as well. You know, you working at the equestrian in terms of your profession and me being a coach in multiple sports, you know, weightlifting and coaching you as well, it plays into it a lot. You yeah, know, although sure. I'm not a nutritionist, it's still definitely important for me to have an understanding. So if someone comes to me, I can either say, well, have you tried this? Okay, maybe try that or refer them out to a nutritionist or a dietitian or, you know. Sweet. Well, anyway, like we said, we're going to be bringing on actual experts to, yeah. to explore more this topic. So if you do have any, any questions or want to share your own experiences, let us know. And otherwise, let us know what you think. And we'll see you next time. Yes, we will. Catch you soon so Yushwag, do you want to plug where people can find you yeah so on instagram i am at yushuan.su.eventing on facebook i am yushuan.su.eventing and my website is suyushuaneventing.com what about you connor mine is at connor lift stuff on instagram and at stoic strength systems on instagram and we was also just set up a patreon under the same name stoic strength systems so give those a follow i will put the links all down in the description if i figure out how to do it thank you for listening to this episode make sure you like share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll see you next time